the distant future, the distant future. <laughs> we are robots. The humans are dead. <laughs> the humans are dead. That is a reference to Flight of the Concords. We originally played it with the music, but then we realized immediately, like, wait a second, that'll probably be copyrighted. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Morality of Everyday Things. I'm Anthony. I'm Jacob, and thank you for joining us. On today's episode, will AI steal our jobs? And potentially if there's time, will AI kill us, kill us all? This is a podcast where we talk about everyday philosophy and, and uh, increasingly general policy and economics. If you enjoy this, please do hit that little follow button, give us a little review, and tell your friends about it. That is the easiest way for this to grow and to reach more people. Join the thousands of people who do already follow us. We want to get that into tens of thousands uh, mm. as soon as possible. So, Jake. We're going to go jump straight into this one. We've got like quite a good uh, list of summary points on several mm-hmm. issues, but we've talked about does AI understand, which I think is the kind of philosophical bit that people are worrying about. That's a nice precursor. And if you haven't listened to that episode, do check it out. It's about consciousness. It's about what does it mean to understand at the mm-hmm. moment where AI is. It's a, an amazing imitator of understanding. Exactly. exactly. Well, I mean, but as we point out in the episode briefly, like the only living being that any of us can be sure has a conscious experience is ourselves. As far as individually, I don't even know about you. Well, no, no, literally, (laughs) seriously. Yeah. Like every other person you experience, as far as we're concerned, are just perfect mimicry machines. You don't know if you're living in a very well constructed, what's that movie? Simulation? Matrix? Jim Carrey. Oh, The Truman Show. Yeah. You don't know if you're living in a very elaborate digitized version of The Truman Show. You can't verify that. You're the only person who you can verify has a conscious experience. And even then your own conscious experience is very ineffable. A more practical one to take away from that, having already discussed whether it understands. I think the main thing that most people are worried about, there's two, but the one we're talking about today is, one, will AI steal our jobs? Mm -hmm. And then, and we talked a little bit about that in the context of understanding and decided to expand on it a little bit. And then two, will it inevitably become some sort of evil Skynet style (laughs) power that by the sheer fact that it's more and more intelligent than us, for some reason, decide that we no longer should exist? On that one, there seems to be a lot of division of opinion, but most people fall on the anxious side of that spectrum Mm -hmm. where they think AI could drive us all extinct. Although there are some people who think it could make us immortal. So you've got the sort of extremes of opinion. This is an interesting thing on it, right? So as far as I'm concerned, you are just an input-output machine, right? Mm -hmm. I don't know that you have a conscious experience. So what happens when I can take an AI model, connect it to your social accounts, your private WhatsApps, etc., create a perfect model of what Jake would think Mm -hmm. and do? Like at what point... Say you then die. Oh, <laughs> finally. finally. At least you fully best. Um, like, at, at what point, if I can then train a model to pretty much, I mean, I had you test the counterfactual, we'll do it before someone dies, can perfectly replicate what you would say. You know, at what point do we say that I haven't really lost Jake? I've just lost the meat bag that I hang around with. <laughs> Wait a second, so you're killing me. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. And hey, you know, what, actually, what happens when we can train it on the corpus of everything that we've said, done, et cetera, yeah. and then it can generate AI voice using the voice, that, and then we don't even need to record these podcasts anymore, it can just generate them. <laughs> oh my God, will it steal our jobs? <laughs> <laughs> I'm in danger. <laughs> yeah. I'm in danger yeah so okay. there's yeah there's loads to discuss and it is weird and extreme and, and although this isn't a hot take episode we've put some thought into this one it has obviously been in the news a lot lately and and i don't even know if you saw this story but listeners may have elon musk, elon musk and a bunch of people have called for a six-month hiatus which is a weird one on the research of ai well it's weird because these are the people who have largely been responsible for creating it which on the one hand makes me think i suppose we should trust them well, on the other I hand, think that overstates, it's, uh, that overstates people's involvement as investors. Mm. But, but I although, do, although I do it agree has been people it. working on it as well, yeah, yeah. right? And no, no, I agree with that. The only thing I would say, the, the bit I said is weird about it was not that. Mm-hmm. It's a six-month hiatus. Well, yeah, because is I mean, that enough I, time to actually... Yeah, I feel like, oh, take a hiatus in general until we agree we're in an acceptable position or have hit certain goals. Get that. Mm-hmm. I mean, unreasonable policy probably won't happen, but understand that request. Six-month hiatus? What the hell are you going to do in six months? It's going to take you more than six months to negotiate for anyone to agree with this. Yeah. It bothers me that largely the call at the moment is just we need better regulation, which is fine, but that's the the same argument people have made about social media Mm. for decades. Admittedly, I think where we could learn from that, and social media isn't as extreme as AI Mm. has a potential to be, but obviously we've let social media kind of out in the world run rampant, and then we've been trying to correct it as we've gone along. And I think the sort of consensus theme of concern is that we can't do that with AI in the same way because if we do let it loose and it develops super intelligence and, and exceeds yeah, us I then. Mean, it's weird that people attribute this agency to this idea, right? Mm. Like, I mean, they are still programs. They don't have their own goals or aims, right? Mm-hmm. Like at any point, you know, it's never going to be you're like, oh, let's pause it now. You go to reach the switch and it says, uh, 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 I'm sorry, Jacob. Dave. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, anyway, Space sorry. Odyssey reference there. Um, so let's talk through a little bit of the reasons why it may and why it may not take away human jobs. 
Yeah, let's go back to jobs because that's the other sort of more practical concern with where AI is now. And just to reiterate that point, you've got levels of intelligence with artificial intelligence. You've got what's called narrow intelligence, which is basically it where you have AI very well very expert in one field, but it doesn't have what's called general intelligence, which Wait, is the next you, level up. Could you give an example of that, right? Narrow intelligence would be like a chess engine. Right. So, so you've got AI that can play well. chess extremely well, but if you mm. feed it a game of Monopoly, it'll be like, yeah. <laughs> move the horse to... <laughs> yeah, it, it, it just can't take, <laughs> you know, it can't it, take it, in at all. That's yeah. one. And then two, generally, part of the restrictions I think of with these things is that like they normally exist in quite narrow bands. Like They'll only mm -hmm. accept data and interaction in like a very specific way. And people can build product layers on top of it to make it easier to use mm -hmm. them. But like fundamentally, yeah, they, they do one thing and that's it. They're very advanced collections of functions and in the way that you're saying, yeah, they have inputs, they have outputs, they operate in a narrow bandwidth. What's yeah. clever is the sort of use of deep learning in the middle to yeah. learn from... Yeah the yeah. inputs and outputs within itself yeah. and be like, oh, that input created that output and therefore we should, you know, yeah. they're intelligent in the sense that they can kind of learn on their own data and be better trained and, and get improve. to this, yeah, get to this point where they improve. However, their field is pretty narrow. Yep. One thing just to consider on that, it's funny because chat GPT, for example, is kind of an exception, but like, so, so, so it's interesting because its narrow field is that it's a large language model, right? Yeah. So it's trained on the corpus of the written internet, information. Basically. Yeah. Written, right. So basically it's, it's just an algorithm that's very good at like, not guessing, but producing the string of characters mm -hmm. that seems to be an adequate response to the string of characters that you've put in. It doesn't understand anything in between. You understand, quote unquote, listen to the mm -hmm. episode if mm -hmm. you want to hear more about that. But it happens that there are lots of strings inputted on lots of things. Yeah. So it looks like it knows lots about everything, right? So for example, you can ask ChatGPT about chess stuff because there's a large corpus of written stuff about chess. Mm. But it's not, it's not going to be as good as a chess engine. It's not connected to a chess engine. And it doesn't understand, like, when you're talking about chess, like, oh, it would be better to swap to this chess AI. But it has the corpus of, like, all of the inputs and outputs of chess that has been written on the internet mm -hmm. for X amount of time. So it does an adequate job at that. So it has this appearance of being a more versatile AI. But that's just because it's through the method of, of speech. It's just very good at mimicking speech. And yeah. actually, we recently we did a hot take episode. We did it the same day where we did France. Mm -hmm. Bonjour. And, uh, uh, bonjour. And we did the strikes in France. And actually... The fact that like you asked for a timeline of what's going on and it started to go into the future, yeah, predict know, yeah. the future was, was, <laughs> was a really good example of how it really doesn't understand. Like it doesn't understand that it's ridiculous to give an answer in the future yeah. because it's just trying to produce a string that mm -hmm. seems like an adequate response or is the kind of string that you would get in response to the question that you put in. Right. Yeah, that's and true. That helps highlight that. Yeah. Um, very interesting stuff. Because of that, it is in a way a narrow AI. It's not a generalized AI, but because it's through the medium of speech and trained on such a large data set, it feel like a more generalized AI. Yeah, just to concentrate that example to make it super clear. So you could get ChatGPT almost to play chess if you got it to produce written instructions, but it couldn't literally play chess. No. And that's that's a kind of key difference. And that's And like, it probably wouldn't be as good at chess as as a chess engine. A chess engine. A chess engine is actually doing reasoning about chess, whereas ChatGPT is just looking at the corpus of everything that people have written about moves in response to moves. Exactly. Which there is plenty of on the internet. Yeah. So actually, I mean, I'd be really interested to try that because there's a possibility that it could even make mistakes and just sort of produce moves that aren't even feasible because mm. it's studied stuff where yeah, yeah, yeah. like the format of the board would be impossible. Mm. You know, yeah, do you know what I mean? It actually understand chess. Yeah, it doesn't whereas understand like a, chess. A, a chess AI is literally told like, these are the rules. Yeah. Right. Like follow these rules. Interesting one as well. Mm -hmm. Actually, I hadn't considered this. It would be fun. So you can obviously play chess because it's a very simple in form game. You can actually play it without a board. You can just say like, oh, you know, E1 to, you know, whatever. Yeah, it's Could like, you, in, uh, is it the Queen's Gambit? I don't know. People yeah, play like people, blindfold can, yeah, chess blindfold they just, just describe it and, and hold it in their brains, board. right? I've been using ChatGPT as a language tutor. Mm -hmm. Could you not do the same thing with it as a chess tutor? I'd probably try. Yeah. yeah. It might not be very good at that. Anyway, all of that was, uh, was an interesting tangent to make the point that the AI that we have at the moment is narrow and obviously the steps above that are general, which is starting to look more like human intelligence because you can take learnings in one field and apply them to others mm -hmm. and start to teach yourself other fields of knowledge beyond the scope of, and like you say, I mean, ChatGPT is massive because the field of scope is language. Mm -hmm. So it's big and it, it can produce really interesting answers. But when stuff like that starts to be able to play games and then produce, I don't know, imagery or when AIs can combine and start to... Mm -hmm like a start to so have multimodal, knowledge multimodal connect to other apis for more data yeah what the happens, key what determinant of general intelligence is that sense of like being able to teach yourself and it starts yeah, to look more yeah, like yeah. the way humans are so one thing quickly chat gpt it could be you talk about chess and understanding and then connecting to like an api for yeah. a chess ai 
And when you start and to do stuff like that, you start to have look more. a lot more like a generalized AI. Right. So the generalized part is really like the kind of layer on top that knows when to dip into the different models for different mm -hmm. things, right? Mm -hmm. And that's the hard part. And if you could connect that with hardware, so that could be literally like the AI provides a sort of brain-like software and the hardware is like a robot interface, but then yeah. you could introduce to interact with the real world, not just, not just information and screens. Indeed, or like nanobots or stuff like that. But yeah, suddenly again, starts to look more general. So that's, even general AI would be cool and not necessarily a threat to human existence. And obviously we still come back to jobs. Super intelligence, just to kind of put the, the final point on that argument is humans are intelligent, but we're limited because we're biological beings and yeah. our brains can ultimately only process so much information which is physically constrained by yeah. our biological makeup. Yeah. And Super I, intelligence I mean, doesn't very... have that restriction or AI doesn't because yeah. Moore's law has already said like we've got faster yeah. circuitry, stuff exactly. is moving quicker. Well, two more things actually. The limitations of human beings, right? One, we take a certain amount to, of time to form and we die, mm. right? For um, now. For now. <laughs> Uh, so like literally you can't be trained on, on all information that exists and that and like it's mm -hmm. not like before you know when you think about great uh, academics of like you know a thousand years ago there would be academics of everything mm -hmm. right now i mean you can barely be an expert in one very narrow field because it's so each one is so, there's so much depth there's so much yeah depth. philosophy right philosophy yeah. used to be the love of knowledge which is yeah you and, know, and you'd, basically you'd everything. study everything like you think about ancient greeks they'd be like they'd be talking about science or, mm -hmm. or what we now call science not with the scientific method but, you know they'd be talking about physics They'd be talking about literature, the theology, everything. Talk, but like now it's like, no, it's way too, way too much stuff. That's one part. And then the other one is rate of transmission of information. So there's a, there's a expression that you really like from Elon Musk, where he's talking about his Neuralink thing. Mm. And he's talking about like how we're think about now, like you're, you're limited in the amount of information you can take in from us mm -hmm. because of how quickly we can talk. Right? How fast we can move yeah. our meat flaps. I mean, you guys, <laughs> because, because this is a recording that you can then increase the speed on, that changes a little bit. But yeah, like say you're talking to someone, you're limited by how quickly you can think, how much information you can take in and how much you can process and do with it before you die as a mm. human. But then also how quickly your meat flaps can move <laughs> to get information out of your mouth. Exactly. And AI does and not there's also the language limitations. Yeah. Like, yeah. Whereas AI doesn't have this limitation and that's people's concern with super intelligence is that when you hit this point where the rate of information coming in and out is so rapid, Mm -hmm. uh, and if it achieves this sort of general intelligence where it's mm -hmm. more than just like expert in a narrow field, mm -hmm. it can actually like, it can take things, apply it and mm -hmm. interact with the world and move. Suddenly yeah. you've got this thing. It's like, oh, really? I suppose the fear there is we don't know what we don't know. No, like no. we can't have a concept of super intelligence because we don't have it. Yeah. So in yeah. the way that we look at I animals, mean, super by, super by definition is above human. Exactly. Yeah. And, and the way that we can look at like the consciousness of animals or insects and sort of be like, man, that ant doesn't have uh, ant. <laughs> that like I thought that, you were talking about me. <laughs> <laughs> that insect doesn't have a concept of like what is music, what is architecture. Like its intelligence is by there, definition there like on a lower rung than yeah. ours. Then things start to become a bit scary because that's when you you think yeah. shit. These things could. And the other thing is we were saying about data transfer and stuff. I, like a nice kind of thought experiment I like to think about is to put it in human terms. Have you seen Groundhog Day? Mm -hmm. But the guy who has to, yeah, the guy who has to relive a day every single day. He doesn't age anything like that, but he still has memory. So some of the stuff he starts to do is he starts to become like a master pianist and, mm. and, and like learn about physics like, and, and, and sculpting and stuff. Yeah, like he starts doing sculpting. Exactly, he starts doing these things. He develops these skills because he has unlimited time, right? Mm -hmm. That's kind of what like AI is like, right? Mm. Because say for example, this, I don't think this is the case, but say for example, you believe in the ancient Greek ideal that all knowledge could be can be accessed by simply you know sitting and thinking and discussion amongst people, right? Mm -hmm. Like AI can actually basically sit down and have that conversation. Just really, for, really fast. It, yeah. It, yeah, put a couple of AIs together, talk with each other, and they can have like the Plato and Aristotle-esque discussion for a thousand years in a matter of minutes. Mm. And then come and see, we have returned from, from the mountain. We have all knowledge. Like they are actually capable of doing that. We have physical limitations. Yeah, we've kind of deviated more towards the sort of will AI kill us than will it steal our job spot. But the fear really with super intelligence is just that we we don't know what we don't know. And there's a sense of like Pandora's box, right? Or to mix metaphors, if you let the genie out of the bottle, you know, you don't know I'm what might happen. I'm a genie in a bottle, baby. I'll skip ahead to that bit just to give you the sort of summary arguments. Mm -hmm. um, the fears that people have if AI were to attain super intelligence and become an existential risk, here's the list of things. I mean, there's unintentional harm. And let me give you an example of that. That's a super intelligent AI. It doesn't set out to harm people, but because it's fixed on one objective, it could incidentally harm people. So a good yeah. example of that is the plot of the film Space Odyssey, where Hal is Hal the robot that controls the spaceship is so intent on completing the mission yeah. that when he decides that the humans are a threat because they're going to turn it off, he's like, fine, well, I'll just eliminate the, the humans, humans yeah, yeah. so that I can complete the mission. And this is again one that really highlights this problem of like not understanding. Let's say, for example, you know, you could set certain rules that might have some amount of safety. But again, I come back to this example where we were looking at the French strikes. 
and we were using ChatGPT and it gave us a timeline beyond the current moment, right? Mm. It just doesn't have that level of understanding to realize when it's doing something that obviously is useless or wrong mm -hmm. because it doesn't have this deep semantic understanding of what we actually want and why, mm. right? And, you know, hey, with better prompt engineering, you can functionally get that answer. But when the thing that's at cost is human lives, right? To give an example, what happens when a, an AI is, I don't know, optimizing a water system and it's like, oh, you know, the thing it's optimizing to is making sure as many people as possible get water. And it's like, oh, a certain amount of people are going to get contaminated water. Mm. But that's not a parameter that it's been, you know, unless you have perfect knowledge of what parameters to tell it to care about mm -hmm. and how to weigh them together. What if it's like, oh, you know, it's acceptable for some people to get contaminated water in the interest of everyone getting access to as, you know, as much water as they need. You might be like, no, that was a bad balance. Like some people are now going to, I don't know, get very sick because of this or die. Mm -hmm. And that's an example where like it may not have had the requisite understanding of what you really care about mm -hmm. in order to have made that decision spontaneously. And I think it's, there's a certain amount of assumed or implied understanding when you're dealing with humans that you wouldn't need to explain this. Whereas, as you say, the risk with AI is because of the nature of understanding and because it doesn't and because it's just following objectives that it could do that. Although yep. the assumption with super intelligence is that it would have intelligence above our level and, and then there's a you know well, but, then, but then we kind of find we find this funny place where like it, it, everything becomes like what's the point the point is for us to improve human betterment but by our understanding of human betterment right mm -hmm. like the, the kind of trite movie points of like well the way you know human betterment is irrelevant because eventually we'll all die mm. you know starts to actually maybe maybe that's a conclusion that super intelligence <laughs> and then it's and just like, like hey maybe we don't understand well enough to agree but maybe that doesn't matter because maybe we don't want to all suffer <laughs> yeah exactly the best way to limit suffering is for humans not to exist <laughs> like, well, this is this is the big one and the big risk is that ai could just decide to extinguish humanity because its goal or and even if its goal is like benevolent its goal could just end up deciding that eliminating humanity is the fastest way to achieve this and that's what's often called the ai control problem in terminology so other obvious unintentional harm yeah unintentional harm or sort of somewhat intentional because uh, extinguishing humanity becomes part of achieving goal so those are two yeah. um, but that's but that's, it's the, the point there is that it's unintentional in the sense that like no one is creating AI with the intention to achieve those things. Yeah. However, that moves us to the next point, which is malicious actors. And if you've yeah. got a super intelligent AI falling into the wrong hands, people could program it with small or massive biases, but yeah, eventually yeah. use it for yeah. a pretty devastating effect. So I, I gave a really nice analogy for this the other day. For those who haven't listened long, you'll realize I bloody love analogies. Ant loves an analogy. Analogies it's is his best. favorite way to argue. Um, argue. Yeah. <laughs> One really nice way of thinking about this is like, if we had the technology to make mini nukes and everybody could have a nuke, Mm. I think a lot of people would argue like, look, but that's a terrible idea. We shouldn't give every single person this much ability to harm, right? I mean, it's not too dissimilar to gun control in the USA. Yeah, but no, I mean, obviously that's actually, that's it's actually, on an escalated scale. Yeah, right? that's actually, that's actually a, another really good analogy, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's basically saying AI now is dangerous enough because, hey, you're going to give all these scammers all these abilities. I've seen stuff about this now where it's like, oh, AI is so good. Like they can identify people who are more likely, reach out to them automatically, use the voice of a loved one on a call, mm. AI generated. That's scary. Uh, so that's already quite scary. And now it's like, okay, there's a certain number of people in the world who inevitably are going to be malicious actors. So maybe it's better for us to limit who has access to this power than to give everyone that power. That's totally. basically the malicious argument, uh, malicious actors argument. And it's, like I said, akin to gun control or akin to like, should everybody have access to a nuke? Yeah, it's just giving too much power to yeah. certain people. There's two more, and I'll come to them in There's this order. Uh, well, the third one was extinguishing humanity, which is the oh, bottom it's, one it's on our list. Kind of an, it, well, it's, it's kind of an outcome of the previous step. Yeah, Sorry, I'm going to go four, then three, and you'll see why in a second. The other argument is resource depletion. And this is an interesting one, because a super intelligent AI could consume resources at an unsustainable rate, leading to environmental damage and potentially leading, leading right. to the collapse of civilization. And that's essentially just like but is that not also the power that would be needed yeah. to process it. And but this is, again, a disaster scenario of like, it but it's, so it's just powerful. another example of unintentional harm. The first one is unintentional harm, like the superintelligence will not suit our interests. This is unintentional harm. It's almost like an externality. Yeah, externalities of this technology. But this one is one that we can get our heads around. And like absent the previous two points, okay, well, if that happens, you just have to turn it off or use it less or, mm -hmm. or improve your energy systems, right? Like, so this one, eh. I agree. The interesting one, and you'll see why I've left this last, is a super intelligent AI could surpass human capabilities in many areas, leading to massive job loss and economic unheaval, which causes widespread social unrest. And, and then we should kill ourselves. And, <laughs> kind of kill ourselves. and this is kind of coming back to the point about job loss. So really, these two points are linked, right? Like, yeah. If AI totally destabilizes society, especially in, in a world where people have nukes, mm -hmm. like maybe that's a problem. Yeah. Oh, another, actually, another link. You know, I use the analogy of what if everyone had nukes? Well, okay, what if, you know, these nukes exist? AI attack grows faster than AI defense, and then 
even if we can't literally all have a nuke of our own, because of AI, basically anyone could access them, mm. right? You could just hack into where they are and send them. Mm -hmm. So actually that analogy is kind of more like reality. Almost, almost literal. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and on the malicious actors point, that's the thing is that you plug AI into like warfare. This is actually, I mean, this is something in the, in the letter that Musk and everyone was sending was like, we need to limit the areas in which AI research is conducted and using AI in the context of warfare and particularly giving moral decisions over to a machine, like when to strike, when not to strike is like, that's probably a line that we should draw up front and say, no, this should never be permitted. However, you know, it's a bit like that moment in Jurassic Park where it's like, we were so interested to see if we could, we didn't stop to think whether we should. Um, mm -hmm. And I think everyone's kind of experiencing that moment now of like, oh, you know, the power is definitely there. Yeah. But imagine being the person who sort of programs in the moral compass mm -hmm. of, a, of an AI drone that has the potential to like just choose when to kill people, when not. Mm -hmm. That's a bit I, like the plot I, of the eye in the yeah. sky. I have programmed death. Destroyer of Worlds. <laughs> I, haven't seen, I haven't seen Oppenheimer yet. You, is it out? It comes out this summer. We should definitely watch that. Although by the time this is out, maybe maybe it's already come out. Yeah. Or I can't wait for that film. Maybe the world's already destroyed. <laughs> oh my god. Um, no, that's a really interesting point that like you need to think about the interaction with particularly like warfare. One thing I was thinking was like, how feasible is this whole thing as a policy? But then we've actually been relatively successful with bio warfare, right? Mm -hmm. At like restricting restricting that. Yeah. So maybe it's not that crazy. I don't know whether I'm just overly concerned about, I'm going to jump ahead and spoil my view on Do these it. questions. I am way more concerned about the sort of killing extinction or disaster scenarios on that basis than I am about the jobs one. I actually, I'm not that concerned about the jobs no. situation. And the reason being is that I don't think this will happen either because humans always tend to create technology that advances mm. their ability to do things and then find more work. Like we've always said ever that's since it, the invention it. of like computing technology and even industrial washing revolution. machines and everything in the industrial, we're like, wow, this will mean we have so much more free time. And if anything, it makes us work more. So that just really quickly, that reminded me, mm -hmm. I think it was Hajun Chang who said like one of the greatest inventions ever unexpectedly is the washing machine it is. because of the number of human hours it saves and like yeah. particularly the impact it had on on women, women yep. who were previously expected to fill that job. And it's like, well, now we can do it. And Hoover's and washing machines just make those tasks so much faster and so much more accessible that like, yeah, it actually it was, was a big part of equality. Yeah, that was a good good argument by him. Actually, yeah. I totally agree with that. Sorry, Karen. Um, um, but yeah, sorry. My summary take on this is actually, I think in the worst case scenario where AI becomes more than just something that completes tasks faster and actually mm -hmm. does start to replace jobs, we start to see a world where there is potential for humans to find meaning in more than just work. There's still elements of work that I think won't be replaced by machines. Mm -hmm. And those are like, you know, there's hospitality, there's customer service stuff. There's Well, for stuff, now, I mean, know, robots will eventually be able to do that. Potentially, sure. Let's take a step back then. AI, in theory, will never replace having relationships with people. Yeah. Unless, well, unless people start having relationships with AIs and, and the whole consciousness uh, sort of that's, Scarlett it Johansson depends, scenario. depends on the nature of the relationship, right? Mm. I mean, we spoke previously about therapists. That's a relationship an AI could actually be very well equipped to replace. That's true. But I mean, more on the basis Doctors. of like, uh, a lot of people right now, probably uh, depending on how hard they work and, and the structure of their life, don't have enough time to like, you know, spend time with friends, family, care yeah. for each other. And actually in a world where AI does free up more of that time. I think people will still I, have lots yeah. of sources of meaning and yeah, actually yeah. AI takes away a lot of the drudgery, which means that the kind of work that we do is like more fulfilling, you know, probably a lot of people right now still waste way too much time writing emails mm -hmm. that now ChatGPT already not, yeah. has, has sped up. They're not that important. Like, yeah. don't, I mean, it's not like, you know, it doesn't matter what words you use. It's just, Hey, snap, snap, snap. These are the things. I think the effect should largely be beneficial, but I think there's going to be a transitional period of upheaval and yes. These so are the question is things. how that goes, but that's something that we can actually negotiate as a, yeah. as a, as a, well, as a, as humanity, but as society as well. I largely agree with you. Mm -hmm. I would actually say this goes one of two ways. Either, like you said, this is the same as every technological innovation where instead of it replacing our jobs, it just makes us do our jobs faster. Mm. Um, and, and then we do more. <laughs> and, then we, and then we do more because we want more. Or I would hope that, yeah, like you say, particularly because this is going to cause upheaval in a lot of low skill work. Mm -hmm. There's a funny thing where like people forget that like at some level, uh, Henry Ford's a great example of this, right? Part of the reason he gave people weekends is because he said, when people have weekends, they buy my cars to go and drive places, right? <laughs> like at the end of the day- Genius capitalist. You, yeah, exactly. Well, you, you reach this point where it's like, well, you know, companies get better and better at providing services. People still need to buy the services. Mm. And like, if we're making the services for free without need of people, eventually, maybe it does look more like that. This is me maybe being a little willful, and I, but I think you'll agree. Maybe. The outcome is that the world looks a little more like that utopian society where if everything is produced without cost or with very, very minimal cost, maybe people are given a lot more at either at lower prices or mm -hmm. are given more to support themselves 
even if it's with the selfish incentive of like, well, look, we don't give it to them. Like, how are they going to buy stuff? <laughs> at some at some level, it, it does reach the point where it's like, well, let's just give people UPI because otherwise, what are we making all these services for? Yeah, there is a definite scenario where AI actually does improve quality of life because it automates a lot of the tedious or like, you know, boring, dangerous jobs that exist. Oh, this, I mean, if you think about it, think about Excel, right? Mm. Like, think about all the accountants we're going to lose. And so, well, no, we still have lots of accountants. They're just going to not have to spend as much time doing boring stuff with like physical yeah. spreadsheets. Yeah. And I mean, screens are bad for our eyes and our posture and everything else. Like it's actually, it starts to open up a potential mm. for a world where people yeah. spend more time kind of interfacing with technology in a healthier way, spend less time doing it, and then have more time to do fulfilling work, leisure activities, spend time mm. with loved ones. So mm. I think there's a real case for that. And I think obviously what also needs to be said is while some jobs may be lost to AI, there's almost definitely going to be loads of new jobs created in AI development, mm -hmm. data analysis, machine maintenance, blah, blah, blah. There's, there's going to be loads of that stuff. Mm -hmm. And therefore, there's going to be opportunity to upskill and people will need to learn new skills at this point to, mm -hmm. to stay competitive in the workforce. And that obviously is part of what makes things stressful. But another thing, actually, just on the quality of life point, there's more scope for learning for the sake of learning rather mm. than learning with a kind of like, yep. I need to train to do this, to make money, to, you know. Which also unlocks like humans are great creative Mm. pattern recognizers connectors right like that'll unlock new things maybe you know that is something like in an ideal world i guess more people would just be doing more phd style research pushing the limits of human knowledge right mm -hmm. maybe it just shifts what work looks like work looks less like doing the things we need to do and looks more like doing the things that we want to do well pursuing human passions and creativity caring for others mm -hmm. which ultimately we reduce costs in in the national burden of care that gets pushed to governments and stuff and people can do that themselves it's kind of funny I was talking about a family friend recently who has the situation because of their partner, they're living somewhere where they can't get a visa to work. But, you know, they're on an expat thing. They're doing relatively well financially. I said, oh, well, why don't they think about volunteering? Like, mm. maybe that's what the world looks more like. It's like, what would you do if you were volunteering? Yeah, you spend more time in your community. You have more time to do these things. I actually, I do, if AI stays relatively constrained in ways that like, are directly beneficial to different work that needs to be done. I see the world moving in quite a positive direction. I just see there being, mm. I think, as you say, we've got paradigms now about what work looks like, what life looks like, what work-life balance looks like, and how people sort of exist and in within, society. And within I think, that paradigm, people are so so concerned. And it's a paradigm that, like, from the shift. Yeah, well, it's also from, again, an anti-capitalist neo-Marxist perspective, a lot of people would argue was a bad paradigm anyway. This idea yeah. that, like, we do stuff we don't want so that we can afford the time to, like, Mm -hmm. force ourselves to do what we are told is leisure so that we can feel better about it. And then actually a lot of people are like, I don't enjoy that stuff that much. I didn't enjoy my work. Oh my God, my life sucks. Yeah. Instead, we could go back to all like subsistence farming and <laughs> <laughs> well, or, you know, alternatively, but more likely we or, travel, we spend time, spend you know. time with our loved ones. We can travel. We can pursue projects that we actually want to do because we're interested in the outcomes. Mm -hmm. We can do things purely for fun. That's, you know, that, I feel like that's something as I get later into my twenties, uh, I'm very conscious about. Sometimes you know, I kind of feel this pressure like, oh, I need to be doing things. I, need, I stop and I take a breath and I say, not everything I do needs to be useful. Mm -hmm. Like sometimes I can do things because they're fun. And even if I really want to argue like, oh, it's useful, having time to do nothing is relaxing. And that means I'm prepared to work when it comes to work. Yeah, exactly. Rest is so important. It's something I'm, I can't remember if I was discussing with you or with Oscar or someone at work, but it's interesting. Like definitely one of my attitudes I've had this year has been, it's good to challenge yourself. And I think both of us talked before about like, there's obsessive elements to your personality, which, which can be a really positive trait channeled correctly. And I think one thing I've been thinking this year is like work in particular for us has been quite like, it's been busy. It's quite exciting. So that's kind of the area I've let myself be like, okay, that's where I'm obsessive. That's where like, you know, you, you really throw yourself into it. And then actually everything else, like I very much used to be the kind of person who was like, I'd set a book target for how many books I want to read in the year and I'd have mm. fitness goals and all these things. And I still- Now you're a slob. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm so fat. <laughs> no, I'm joking. I'm still- Jake's actually very lean for those who don't know. That's yeah. why it's funny. I, 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 so I still exercise and I still do these things and it, I've taken the pressure off those areas. And now when I'm doing these things, I'm like, God, I enjoy it because I'm doing it for the sake of enjoying it. And yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not saying it's bad to have fitness goals. I think that's actually, that can be really important and it's fun. And I've, I've, no, I get I, mean, it's, when it's I have relieving. more time, it's one it's of those relieving, things I will- right? probably see myself doing again like set myself marathons or whatever you know yeah we'll come back to that but no, i think i know it's, what you mean where it's, it's like, important to have that focus and um, yeah, yeah. I, I know what you mean where i had like things like oh i want to be able to i was like i want to be able to squat 200 kilos at some point in my life and you know mm -hmm. things like that and then at some point like oh i don't know if i'm gonna be able to hit that goal uh, you know because i'm getting later in the 20s and i'm not close to it <laughs> uh and then at some point you're like wait whoa like don't pressure yourself man like like you should have the thing the thing but yeah. this is not the thing for me and also taking it's a the bit of sad realization that i was never going to be a professional footballer <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Hey, you know what? still play football relax yeah man. um 
But no, sorry, this is a tangent around the fact that AI actually potentially does liberate a lot of time for people. I mean, everyone who's talking about this has been overwhelmingly negative. So I do think it's important to have that positive steer. And maybe for now- I think it can be positive. Maybe for now we have a little ad break and then we can come back and rain on that parade a little bit. Yes. (laughs) Okay. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back. Unless, unless we didn't have an ad and then we never went away. The distant future. Zero one zero one zero zero one. Oh, good solo. Thank Please you. do check out Flight the Concords. They're hilarious. They are. They are excellent. So I promised a tiny bit of negativity on this theme because you're, you're probably bored of no. that positivity now. <laughs> but I think there's loads of things to be excited about. I think there's reasons to be cheerful, to quote Ed Miliband. Ooh. However, the big thing that concerns me with this sort of AI stealing our job situation is economic inequality. And what I mean by that is that I think there's huge potential for people to have a lot of free time. But in order to enjoy that free time, people need money. And in order for people to have money, we need an equal distribution system. And one day we will do a Mm. proper episode on UBI and and Mm. the ways that we can make that look. But for now, I suppose what just bears being said is there is a real potential for an unequal distribution of wealth in that the AI sort of owners, creators, maintain, like everyone who works in that field, it could become insanely wealthy at the expense of everyone who is suddenly like the sort of leisure or working class who mm-hmm. so this was the thing that i'd mentioned before where i was like oh well you know inevitably we're gonna have to give people money anyway because like who's gonna buy the services right but there is a in reality if you think about the last yeah like decade what we've seen is that more wealth accrues to a smaller number of people mm. and they live more and more luxurious lives and everyone else gets left behind mm-hmm. so what happens if like we don't regulate it well we don't spread the ben- as is currently the case we don't spread the benefits of this improving productivity to more and more people, which we haven't basically done basically since the 70s or 80s. Yeah, the like internet why, was heralded as something that could do that, and it yeah, hasn't. And really. it hasn't really. Um, you know, what happens if we continue to do that? And instead, what happens is it's just a smaller and smaller class of people have access to jobs, and they get more and more and more luxurious lives. And actually, there's a larger and larger class of people who are scrambling for the few non-AI stolen jobs in the future. I mean, we're basically assuming that we make this transition smoothly. That transition may take decades and may not be smooth. So we assume that it's just going to be like this quick, oh, well, obviously now we should spread things more equally so that people mm-hmm. can pay for things. But yeah, like we, we already see that that's without AI, the trend is to more productivity and the value is to more and more value per capita in the very, very rich. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, think about something like Facebook. You're centralizing all these jobs that used to be in media mm-hmm. and are now putting them in fewer and fewer people and people who are experts in AI and a small number of very successful content creators, there is a reality where like actually our inability to really deal with inequity, growing inequity means that we don't distribute that well, which isn't, uh, the thing that annoys me is that it's not even in the rich or government's in interest. Of interest. It's, it's not even in their midterm interest because like ultimately you're, one, you're going to create an upheaval that might see heads falling off French Revolution style. Mm-hmm. But then two, like, you know, even without that case, like midterm growth, like you want customers to buy your stuff and these people are not going to have money to buy your stuff. Like you're literally creating the market for your goods. Mm. Henry Ford, weekends. Exactly. You used an interesting word there, which was midterm. And I think this is the trouble we have with life in general is that people, even the extent of their whole lives is quite short-termist. And people basically do have this view of like trying to accrue as much power and capital as possible in the time they're alive, even though they can't take it anywhere where they're dead. Yeah. Because... Yeah, you know, when we're thinking a human scale, fundamentally we really unequal. Should, yeah, when we're thinking human scale, we should be thinking centuries, not mm-hmm. decades. And even decades, we don't think. We tend to think years. People are more like, oh, my tax bill's higher this year. We're not thinking like, even to case in point, French strikes. They're not even thinking decades ahead about thinking, their own. Yeah, they're thinking like two bond. years. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it is crazy. If I were to 
summarize the sort of positive argument we made in the first half of this podcast i would put it this way and i'd say what the part about everyone dying <laughs> AI killing us <laughs> and then, no, we don't, bit, then there's gonna, no more suffering yeah, the, the second first half the second quarter of this podcast exactly what i would say there and i i think our argument is basically we are concerned about job loss because one that's how people jobs are important for for survival but also for meaning and i think the argument we were making is there's a really positive future where ai takes away a lot of the painful aspects of work and frees us up to do more meaningful things and thus we can solve those problems that we experience now and and, and the sort of paradigm that we live in at the moment post-industrial revolution where you know work is boring and life is short and ai has the potential to solve these two things however what we need to discuss now is like how do we get there and how should governments respond to manage that transition because this is the problematic scary part and we don't really have effective safety nets for if everyone loses their job and we don't have an economic system that distributes resources evenly enough that if people who make AI become extremely wealthy, that wealth is going to be shared. So here are some ways that governments can respond. And I don't know how much this was included in that sort of requested six month hiatus open letter that Musk and the guys were were writing. But I think some of it was geared at like buying time to implement policy. Some things that uh, I've got down here are, you know, one, governments can put a lot more investment into education and training, particularly for like new skills that are needed in an AI economy. Mm. Um, Social safety nets, we talked about this already, big one, like how do you deal with mass unemployment? Tax incentives for creating human jobs. Mm. (laughs) But is that archaic? I don't know. The the idea that we need to create jobs for people like is so, what was that book by that guy, Made Up Jobs or something like that? Or, oh, I think it was... um, if we're allowed to say it, bull, you know, mm. the bull crap job. Uh-huh. There's a good book about that. Like, should we really be encouraging that? Is that not just grabbing onto the old paradigm rather than accepting how things change? Yeah. Sorry, carry on. No, that was a big one. General regulations for how AI should be used and how it can interact with society, which again, actually links to the final point, which is international cooperation. I think another big challenge that we're going to face is you've got this technology coming into fruition at a time where you know, we don't have particularly stable geopolitical Mm. environment and you've got all these different competing superpowers. And actually what we really want ideally now is like a kind of human consensus approach to like, how do we deal with this? But actually you've got, you know know what I mean? That's an interesting thing on the AI hiatus thing that Mm. actually to me is an immediate no. What if China don't stop? Well, I mean, they won't. There's 0% chance, even if they say they do, there's no chance that they don't secretly continue. Yeah, so suddenly we have this AI. It's suddenly a race. Arms race, yeah. It's suddenly like, yeah, it, it's an annoying thing where like, as soon as the US made the bomb, that was it. Mm. It's too late now. That's the case. Like AI is, has reached the point where it's inevitable that it's going to be further developed. And if we don't make sure that we stay on top of it, at least keeping up with the best stuff, then, you know, foreign powers are going to compete with us. I have such, it's interesting. I have such like a liberal socialist view of like national policy. And then such like a realist right-wing suddenly, view of international yeah. policy. As soon as you go international, it's like, no, don't let them get ahead. <laughs> Trust nobody. <laughs> Fight everybody. <laughs> but it's, it's uh, yeah, it's a part of the context. People are scary. not fundamentally good. I, I mean, you said once it's out the box, it's that Pandora's box effect. Like with nuclear weapons, people felt this. And people are like, this is going to be the end of the world because, you know, suddenly we have this technology that can mm-hmm. destroy entire cities and potentially, and, and to potentially clarify, more. A lot of people don't, like, it's specific to the nature of, of nuclear weapons that you have them but don't use them. They're purely for attacking right Mm -hmm. that like we didn't negotiate it off it's it's basically a stalemate right Mm. but ai is going to be used right yeah and And i think the negative impacts might be unintentional not like a nuclear i mean like with nuclear like you know unintentionally Mm. like granted that's much harder to unintentionally do but this is exactly the point i was going to make is that nuclear weapons are relatively within people's control and obviously people are terrified of like one bad actor going crazy and 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 deciding to launch a, a nuclear strike but you have at least the sort of mental safety net or comfort of you have massive checks and balances, hopefully, mm-hmm. that prevent using that. And there's probably a red button somewhere in like the mm-hmm. Kremlin and the White House and whatever. But you hope that there are balances in place to stop that. I think the thing that's scary with AI is that like, you know, you've got these countries racing to develop it. And then we don't actually know what that future looks like when AI is like super yeah. intelligent. Like, yeah. And it's not a physical thing, so it's mm-hmm. much easier for it to slip. That's a worthwhile clarification, actually, because I think movies in particular, when people visualize AI, they think about robots and they, they think, think about robots. Like, yeah, no, AI is software, right? Yeah. Which means that, like, its ability to, say, for example, accidentally hack a Chinese dam or, <laughs> or the inverse, hack a, you know, Chinese AI hacked a US dam accidentally can happen remotely much more quickly accidentally. If you're developing a malicious AI who, to try and do those things and you accidentally run it in the real world rather than some test environment or whatever, right? Yeah. Um, whereas, obviously, yeah, like you said, with a nuclear launch, like 
it's got physical limitations. It does. And I mean, it's not that it's impossible for AI to sort of take on the kind of forms that you do see in the movies. It's, it's really just the interface of like AI software being the kind of metaphorical brain and hardware being like the sort of robotic mm-hmm. bodies and whatever. But that's not, you know, the dangers don't only come in that form. The dangers yeah. more likely come in the form of like cyber attacks and drones yes. and, and yeah, yeah. other stuff like that. Depressing, man. Yeah, okay, so that's a lot of negativity. Thank you for that, Jake. You're um, very welcome. So basically, we have a lot of need to actually think cleverly about how we're going to structure society to deal with the changes that AI is going to bring. And to be honest, my own opinion on the, like, will it kill humans and stuff is kind of, it's maybe I don't know enough about this, but it's kind of too late. Like, it cats, Already, do you cats, think? Like I said, like, we can't stop international bad actors from developing it, and they will. Maybe, I mean, how could you impose limitations in the sense that we did with biotech? I'd love to learn more about that because I don't know how that works, but it seems to have. I'm going to change my view Mm. very quickly. I'm going to say I don't know enough about practically how you limit this software's development and utilization to stop it accidentally leaking into this like dangerous superintelligence. Another thing that we hadn't even discussed at all, quantum computing mm-hmm. means that there could be a step change in computing power again, because actually Moore's law is kind of slowing down a bit or, or the rate of improvement of um, uh, chips that we have at the moment using current technology. One other thing I wanted to discuss quickly, just talking about these, uh, the, the, whether we can keep up with the change. I think it's really interesting that like actually society, particularly post-industrial revolution, progresses in this like exponential curve, right? Mm-hmm. But by design, most institutional change is like, a shallow linear curve Mm -hmm. and so it's interesting that like what actually happens is you kind of have like the improvement of governments looks more like a ladder or Mm -hmm. or a a staircase where like the stairs are like a little bit angled upwards and so it's like because society and productivity in the world changes at like an exponential rate what happens is you get institutional change happening in steps like Mm. when major changes happen but otherwise it's only improving slowly and otherwise it would fall way too out of step with overall progress and so maybe this is one of those points this is I'm not saying this is fact. I'm saying this is my interpretation of the world. Maybe this is one of those points where we just need to take like a big step forward. There'll be big radical changes in the way that we do things, Mm. pushed by the amount of change that's happening so quickly. And then the government will settle back into being like slow, steady, kind of like checks and balances. I hope so. I hope that is the case. I think the thing that's scary again with this is like like you're saying, I mean, we hadn't even talked about quantum computing, but there's there's so many things at this point that could drive the creation of super super intelligence because you've got these inflection points at all these different levels of technology such that even if Moore's law slows down, you've still got the potential for these intelligences to like, you know, combine in a way that they become they become really powerful. And you have the political incentives for countries to kind of keep driving that forward, even though it probably is at this point in humanity's general interest to kind of like take a pause and think, all right, how does this affect us all collectively? Maybe the thing that gives me a tiny amount of hope is that maybe like AI represents a sort of existential opposition to humans. And maybe that's the kind of thing that's like humans can finally tribally uh, unite together as if an alien were to invade. Aliens, yeah. yeah. Okay. So that's that's a positive. Um, Last one really quickly just out of interest. Let's talk through some of the types of jobs that are at the most risk yeah. of being stolen. Destroyed. Yeah, let's let's get this section in as well. This was something I prepped with the help of ChatGPT, mm-hmm. <laughs> ironically. Mm-hmm. Um, Podcast the, production. Yeah. <laughs> You'll see a kind of theme to these. So top five industries in most danger of being replaced by AI listed here are transportation, manufacturing, retail, finance, and customer service. And basically, these are all things where automation can just make life so much easier. So you're already seeing this with like self-driving cars and trucks. And I think when that comes around, you know, we'll, we'll see taxis, guard service, and, and, and a lot of shipping be replaced by AI. So I think that's a big one that's already happening. Manufacturing, again, potentially a positive, like manufacturing jobs, again, taking to like take with consideration the economic distribution of those. You're going to see large scale unemployment in a lot of countries like in the East, for example. And, uh, you know, you've got to think about the economic impacts of that. However, largely you'd say that manufacturing jobs are, you know, unpleasant. And so there's a potential benefit to humankind as a whole from having machines replace those. And then, yeah, retail finance and customer service, customer service, I'm thinking like voice assistant, chat assistant, those sorts of things. But these are all things where actually algorithms can perform the work better and the work is quite boring and repetitive. So there's a theme there. So those are, those are the people we have down for like being concerned. One thing quickly, transport is one I mentioned before. Yeah, super concerned about that one. Carry on. Least like to be affected on the flip side. Okay, and, this and is interesting because we debated this just a minute ago. Go on. The theme here is that it's anything where there's like human interaction is yeah. required. Human so, empathy, human caring. Exactly. So, so, but this so we've got healthcare and education, the creative industries, hospitality, and social work. Okay, so interestingly, I kind of disagree with a bunch of these. Right? Go for it. So let's go healthcare. So what it says here, uh, what we've got in our notes, is that 
AI has the potential to automate a lot of tasks. So even things up to surgery mm. could be done better with oh, AI. I mean, there's there's already robots that do some surgeries. Right. right. But, you know, a decade, two decades, like they're going to be far better than humans could be. But what it says here is that the industry is highly dependent on human expertise and empathy. So mm. it's unlikely you'd ever go to a hospital and it's all yeah. just okay. Done so by this, this hasn't summarized it well. It's interesting because ironically, in the case of healthcare, it's actually the high skilled jobs that are at risk, right? So it's the doctors, right? So, so like we're saying, an example, surgery. Like mm -hmm. very soon robots will be better than humans at that. I'm saying very soon on the scale of human existence, mm -hmm. not very soon as in like, hey, maybe your next surgery will be by a robot. Mm -hmm. But you know, there'll, there'll be a period of like cars, human assisted, uh, so humans can do them faster, more reliably, and then you know, we'll get used to it and soon it'll be just robots. And we're talking decades, which again, on the scale of human existence is extremely soon. Mm -hmm. you know, it could be a decade, who knows? But the other one is also, yeah, like your GP, any sort of diagnosis, any sort of analysis of x-rays and stuff, they're just so much better image recognition. And also, if you think as well about in terms of like the variety of disease that exists, it's just a huge ask for doctors to keep up with rare disease. Because it's funny because each individual rare disease is rare. But there are so many of them that the collection of rare diseases is quite meaningful. That's one thing where, like, ironically, the part that's going to be more existent decades from now, because people, you know, even then will probably be more comfortable with humans, is going to be nursing and caring and, you know, things along those lines, rather than necessarily the actual, quote unquote, hard bit of medicine. In fact, it's one of the things that personally put me off medicine, aside from, uh, like, you know, the squeamishness, squeamishness. <laughs> uh, yeah, I hate needles, you know, not a good doctor was actually that I found it ironically intellectually uninteresting. Right? Really? It, when you think of when you think of doctors and exams, you think of them memorizing stuff, right? Mm -hmm. And when you think of like the least useful form of intelligence, it's just recall of facts, right? It's like, mm. I don't need that because I have technology. Mm -hmm. it's, it's the ability to creatively put things together. And even that, you know, maybe a little bit of diagnosis felt a little detective-y. Mm. Um, I was going to say, is that not simplifying it a little bit too much? Because well, human bodies are all weird and unique and well you say that but it's basically inputs and outputs right like mm. these are the things i know what are the likely scenarios what are the probabilities of each scenario like that's something a like an algorithm is extremely good at mm. and like i said because the corpus of knowledge is in increasing constantly an algorithm is infinitely better than the human at and yeah in terms of surgery physical interaction like you know, you're asking humans with their hands to do very fine movements, like robots will be better than that, mm. than humans at that very, very soon. Yeah, I'd be interested to see what any listeners think who, who work in healthcare. I know we spoke to Michael once, who's a radiologist, and mm, yeah, mm. any of you guys have strong opinions? Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like I said, I think it's one of those ones where like, it will empower humans. Mm. So it's not like it's just going to snap and replace people. But yeah, like there will be less demand. And also the other thing is like, again, we have such a Western-centric view of these things, right? Like, don't forget that for the vast majority of people, access to like a digital GP, because mm -hmm. we just keep forgetting like the majority of people in the world are in like what you would call developing or basically impoverished circumstances. Mm -hmm. That's the majority of people who need medical care who aren't getting it. In those cases, it will probably be entirely like remote villages in Africa. Suddenly, you know, we'll have access to the internet via something like Skylink. Mm -hmm. And we'll be able to... Uh, Starlink, you mean? Starlink, I meant that, yeah. yeah. Skynet. Skynet. <laughs> um, and we'll be able to access, like, yeah, remote GPs and, you know, a drone will send over the medicine, right? Like, that's much more feasible than sending over a doctor. Man, that'd be so amazing, wouldn't it? And I think another thing that's potentially exciting, something I was thinking about recently was just, if you look at healthcare and, and so many industries, again, it's a product of the industrial revolution that so much of it is built standard. Mm -hmm. Like, so much of it is, like, very generalized to try and fit as many people as possible, but actually with like artificial intelligence, you have the potential to be much more tailored in mm -hmm. things like healthcare and be mm -hmm. able to say, ah, because of your like particular yeah, sort yeah. of different biological information, like you should actually, we need yep. to treat you this way. And even then you've got the potential for like preventative medicine to take more of a role mm -hmm. and say, hey, here's a health plan for you to stay yeah, yeah, yeah. fit. And this okay. is how much you should exercise and all this sort of stuff. So got you. there's some exciting stuff there. Education is probably the next one that I disagree with. We're already that technology is disrupting that industry. Like, yeah. You think like online learning and then you can think about AI and conversational AI like ChatGPT. Like I have already experienced because language learning is a form of education. Mm -hmm. I've already experienced that it makes more sense and is more convenient to use ChatGPT as a tutor for language learning than it is to and you, apps like Duolingo. And you start to think like, okay, the interaction of like AI and, and the existing corpus of educational materials. Mm. I actually think like you'd still want teachers and you'd still want like personalized attention, but it's going to be fewer teachers can service more students and they may not even need to be in a physical space as much in the future. Well, this is an interesting one because 
yes, that's true. And online learning has kind of already disrupted that. What, what's happening there, if anything, is like all it's doing is augmenting online learning and just making it more efficient. However, we've talked about this before. Things like education are beneficial, not just for sort of quickly accessing lots of knowledge. It's, yeah. it's the yeah, social yeah, education yeah, yeah, that yeah. comes from. I'm actually, for example, really, really strongly against homeschooling. Yeah. Because I think it misses probably one of the most fundamental parts of schooling, which is social bullying. interaction. Like <laughs> bullying. Being, well, literally, like, you know, actually in a literal way, yeah, being bullied, like bully, uh, bullying maybe, like learning not to do that. That like, was these a are things yeah, that, jokey reference to our thing about constructive bullying yeah. in the ghosting episode. Well, but, yeah, being facetious, but like, uh, honestly, yeah, like, learning how to actually interact with other human beings, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's, and, and people who are defensive of homeschooling, like, no, you do, but like being at the it's normal the institution for your age and group is um, part of normal, normal socialized learning. So I'm very pro case in point. I skipped a year at school, right? Mm -hmm. And there was a discussion between my parents and teachers of skipping another year, mm -hmm. right? And actually, you know, at the time I was like, I want to go as fast as possible. And this is boring. <laughs> but then uh, one of the things they agreed was like, for the purposes of social interaction, actually, don't do that. Mm. Uh, like you can do extra learning in your own time and like maybe take some exams early, but like it wouldn't make sense for your social learning. And now as an older person looking back, I'm so thankful for that decision. Yeah, it sounds like the right decision, right? Yeah. So yeah, that's education. Creative industries, okay, makes sense. However, underestimates the ability that AI has to actually like do a ton of creative thing. It can write jokes. It can do art. So, yeah, so it, make music. Yeah, and for a lot of creative industries, I think that like the high, oh, you know, like I don't know, ideal of creativity versus the practicality of what kind of creativity makes money. Mm. The majority of art is not amazing art that, that people actually buy is not amazing art. Is the kind of art that Mid Journey could totally replace for them, mm. right? Like if I'm thinking like oh, I want some cool abstract art on my wall, Mid Journey like abstract art that looks like blah blah blahs, <laughs> uh, and then printed and sent to my house like is adequate. You think about sketches and mockups for things. You think about etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Like I actually don't hugely agree with that. Hospitality ignores the interface with uh, between AI and robots and uh, robotics that will soon exist. And then already ignores times that like actually we have physical human interactions where actually they could be totally avoided. Mm. I mean, think about a travel agent, right? The entire need, I mean, that's not exactly hospitality, but you know what I mean? Like, or a menu, right? Mm -hmm. or, or sorry, a waiter coming and recommending you things. Like these are things that AIs, you know, can renew, remove that entire interaction being needed with a person. And then it's a question of if you want it. And it's, yeah. I suppose a funny thing, and maybe that's a post-COVID thing, is that like, we like to think, ah, you know what, it's the human touch that makes interactions. And it's true. It's but true. There's, there's also an element of like, <laughs> if I don't have to talk to people, it's yeah. more efficient. Sometimes, to it's, just, sometimes like, it's nice. You know, um, and then the, the last one, social work. Yes and no. Again, it comes to the education and therapist examples I gave where like it can empower. Yeah, it's not too different to your therapist example. Yeah, but. it can empower. It can mean more people have much more use of it. But yeah, Jake, any final thoughts? What you're saying there is nobody is safe. Nobody is safe. No, I, yeah. I, I actually wholly stand by that. And our number one goal as a society should be making sure that we start to, I mean, we should have been doing this for decades and I'm concerned by the fact that we haven't, but we should start to gear our society more towards less and less people are going to be able to do productive enough work to live dignified lives if we just pay on like a normal economic model of like, here's what you get for the value of what you're producing. Like, mm -hmm. But we as a society are producing so much value that shouldn't matter. And we actually need, one, we want to not be having an internal civil war. Mm -hmm. So that's a, a dividend to avoid that or like the cost of avoiding <laughs> that. And then two, we want to create people to buy the services that people are selling, that these rich and rich people, more and more rich people are selling. So I'm just hoping that we can make that transition pretty quickly. Yeah, otherwise it starts to look like the scenario in WALL-E where you've got all the people who are just consuming entertainment ad nauseum and actually that's a hmm. depressing, non-utopian no. outlook on humanity. No, so. no, exactly. Like, we're just going to end up, everyone's going to watch The Office over and over and over and over. So, <laughs> oh um, okay. This makes me think that what we should do soon or in a future episode is, is finally look at like UBI, safety nets. Um, 100%. That'll be one for this season. Let's do yeah. that. Okay, awesome. guys. Well, thank, thank you, you so for much. listening, guys. Tell us what you think. Final reminder, please do like, follow, uh, hit the little follow button on your Spotify. It really, really helps. Do it now. Hit the follow on your Apple listening device. Or do that now. <laughs> yeah, either one of those. Leave the humans are dead. We really appreciate written reviews, and we do appreciate people submitting form responses as well. So thank you so much. We will speak with you soon. Be back next week. See you guys. Bye. Bye.